it has become arguably the most important means for the global masses to access every kind of information. So this sermon series is not necessarily about Google, okay? But it is, <laughs> amen, right? <laughs> but it is about the questions that have been searched on the platform. It's about the questions. Many people have questions all over the world, questions. And many people are looking for answers. So in-person meetings with, with lawyers and doctors and even religious leaders, they're no longer the first stop to get particular questions answered. I'm sure we've all found WebMD somewhat helpful. Google has pretty much already done the pre-work for us. So in 2019, uh, Christian Post, they shared an article entitled, The Most Searched Questions About God and What It Reveals. Interesting. And so as I was looking at this article, what I discovered is that the questions that were asked were actually quite simple, but they were very, very profound. Questions like, what is the Bible? And who is Jesus? And what is a Christian? And what is heaven? What is hell? But the question we'll be seeking to answer today is the question, who is God? Who is God? And so for the next number of Sabbaths, myself, Pastor Todd, and a number of guests that will be coming in will be answering some of these top questions most searched on Google. Top religious questions most searched on Google. Today, who is God? Now, I don't know the details of Google's algorithms, but I do know that based on your location around the world, if you were to type in who is God into Google, you most likely would get a variety of answers. Okay? And in certain places, you may get answers related to Islam, Hinduism, or Buddhism. You may even get answers related to Greek mythology. There are many ways to answer this particular question. However, coming from a Judeo-Christian perspective this morning, we will seek to answer it in that light. For people who identify as Christ followers, it is only fitting to answer, actually not to answer, but to let God answer that question for himself. Let God answer that question for himself. Today I'll, I will be uh, flipping through a number of verses, so if you like to take notes, I would recommend to do that, and I'll be sharing uh, some of the scriptures but we'll be going through a few of them, just uh, FYI. After about 400 years of slavery in Egypt, our lesson this morning takes us to the book of Exodus. For the children of Israel, which were the descendants of the man named Jacob, the story of the Exodus begins, the mass Exodus from Egypt. And God calls a man named Moses to lead his people out of bondage from Egypt. The account of their escape is miraculous, 
and it's powerful. It is also very eye-opening and enlightening. Why? Because it's an account that God declares to Moses his name, where God declares his name to Moses. And so we pick up in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning. And it says, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen." This scene takes place after the disaster of the golden calf. Okay? The children of Israel had pledged their devotion to the God of uh, their mighty deliverance from Egypt with all of the miracles and signs, the plagues. And in just a few short months later, they had replaced the almighty God with a metal calf which they created from their own hands. And they said, this is our God. This is who rescued us from Egypt. And so as Moses uh, afterwards is pleading with God to remain with the people and continue to lead them, he simply, he finally asks God to show him his glory. Show me your face, God. Show me who you are. Now, up till this point, Moses has only seen God speaking from a burning bush He's only seen the pillar of fire that God has manifested in, and he's seen the pillar of a cloud. But he's never seen God, and nor have the people. Except, to fix that, they erect their own visual for God. And Moses, instead, simply asks to behold him. So unlike the idols of Egypt, there was no physical representation sufficient to encapsulate the infinite reality of Yahweh, the triune God of the universe. So no image was given. You cannot shape God into an idol or metal. It simply is not sufficient. So instead, Moses got to hear who God was from God's very own mouth. And so this is what God said in response to Moses. Look at Exodus chapter 34, verse 5. And we'll be reading 5 through 8, our text of emphasis. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses 
quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, keeping steadfast love for thousands. It's beautiful. Few people have a problem with God's declaration of himself until we get to one specific part. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers, of the children, and the children's children, etc., the third and fourth generation. There's been a great amount of confusion around this statement. But today we're going to do a little investigation. A casual reading would make it seem as if this passage is indicating that children are punished for the sins of their parents from generation to generation. However, Deuteronomy 24:16 says this when we compare that idea with other scriptures, this is what we find. Deuteronomy 24 Verse 16, it says, The parents shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the parents. Every person shall be put to death for their own sin. Okay, and death isn't always the consequence, but you get it. Ezekiel 18 is a whole chapter describing this phenomenon of God's explanation of individuals experiencing the consequences for their own actions. So, if that's not what God is saying about himself, what is he saying here in this passage? The second key here to understanding this is the idea of God visiting. What does it mean for God to visit? This idea in the Hebrew translates to mean to look over or to look after, to watch something, or to inspect. To inspect. Let's look at a few examples that will help us clarify this a bit more. All right? The first one is in Genesis chapter 21, verse 1, okay? Genesis chapter 21, verse 1, and this is about Abraham and Sarah. In Genesis chapter 21, verse 1, it says this, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. So, when the Lord visited Sarah in this case, she conceived she, was, she became pregnant. So that means visitation in this portion means that it led to pregnancy. It led to life. God's visitation led to Sarah, Sarah's conclusion of being barren, her first child. But that's not it. Where else is this used? Genesis chapter 50, verse 24 Okay, Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, we come to the end of the life of Joseph, the, the second to last son of Jacob. And Joseph is talking to his brothers. Genesis 50, verse 24 says this, Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph promised 
that God would bring them up out of Egypt to a land, that land of milk and honey, and deliver them from Egypt. And he said something else too. He said, look, when God visits you, when God does this, carry up my bones. Take my bones with you. That's a whole nother sermon of its own. Maybe someday I'll share that. But this visitation led to deliverance. Interesting. We continue. In Exodus, the very book that we're reading from, chapter 3, we see this used again. And some versions render uh, the word visited for something else, like the ESV this morning says observed. But let's look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. Exodus chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, it says, God speaking, I have observed or I have visited you, he's speaking to the children of Israel, and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. So in this case, the visitation led to freedom. God's visitation, his inspection, led to freedom. I mean, I could keep going. There's only one more. I should, let me show you one more. I hope you're starting to piece things together. Exodus chapter 4, verse 31. Exodus chapter 4, verse 31. It says, after they heard this, and the people believed. Moses came back and told them about the burning bush and how God had called him to deliver them. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. The report of God's visitation led to worship. Very different than what we might get from a casual reading. I could go on, like I said, but we'll stop there. There are plenty more texts. But what we begin to see a bit more clearly is that God visits or even comes to investigate with the intent to deliver what is needed. So in some cases, it's justice. In some cases, it's deliverance. In some cases, it's new life. In some cases, it's freedom. The hope of the African-American slaves in America, our very nation, in the South, during the 1800s, was the hope in this particular lesson that God would visit them and deliver them from the God they heard about and few of them read about in their incomplete scraps of scripture. They seemed to conclude that this visiting this visiting God would be the source of their deliverance. The Protestant message of individual freedom and direct communication with God awakened many who were in bondage and many outside to the truth about the demonic reality of slavery. They didn't see, or uh, uh, the, the African American slaves, they didn't see God's visitation with fear. They hoped for it with an intense longing. They believed that the God of the Bible had visited them, 
had seen them and sent them their own Moseses in the persons of many abolitionists and of, uh, of a black woman, specific black woman named Harriet Tubman, who in her lifetime made 13 plus different trips back and forth from the south to the north on the Underground Railroad, rescuing more than 70 to 100 people. And she did a lot more in her lifetime. There's plenty more to share. You can read that on your own. The religion, Christianity, that was used to previously make slaves docile and pliable became the source for their resistance. When they discovered that God, this God that people have been talking about wasn't, didn't look like what they were seeing, that he was different and that he was someone who freed the oppressed. They began to resist. They weren't afraid of the visitation of God because they knew he was a God of justice, a God that sets the captives free. God's inspection and examination was greatly desired. God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children is simply saying that God doesn't just see the sins of the parents. He watches its impact on the generations that come after and after and after, and he continues to examine, he continues to assess, he continues to come back and inspect to look for an opening for intervention. So what you suffer from through heredity, through genetics, God is looking for a way in to deliver. God's visitation means he hasn't left us alone. I'm reminded of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God, the creator, this is his, his resume, if you will, the first portion of it. And as God created the heavens and the earth, the water, the land, fish of the, fish of the sea, the birds of the air, animals, humanity, after each day, he inspected every single thing that he had made. And I know that because after every single thing that he had made, the Bible says it was good. It was good. He went through the deep sea. He looked at the vegetation, the seaweed. He looked at the plankton. He looked at the whales and the big fish, the bacteria. He did the same with the land and, and, and the grass and the trees and his eyes scanned everything that he created and then he said it was good. And he comes down to the final day of creation. He looks at everything that he created and he said it was very good. In the same way that God's eyes inspected the earth fresh after creation and called it good, would he not also inspect the earth and everything in it and declare when something was wrong? That inspection, that careful, watchful eye is a visit from God. That's the visit. When God comes to visit, He's coming to see what type of intervention is needed. Don't be afraid. 
In fact, it's a blessing. Is it, is, it a, is it justice that they need? Is it hope that they need? Is it life that they need? Is there a burden that needs to be lifted? Is there a consequence? Is, is it hope that they need now? Just know that God's visitation, his examination is very, very thorough. And when he looked at earth after the first, our first parents fell, when his eyes passed through countries and cities later of the future and towns, passed through every generation that was and that was to come, his inspection, his visitation led him to the only conclusion to salvage a hopeless case. Send a savior. Send a savior. Jesus Christ came as a result of God's visitation, as a result of his inspection, as a result of his watch over the land. God's visitation, God's assessment of the state of the earth led him to make a particular plan for our salvation. God's visitation shouldn't lead us to fear. It actually should lead us to worship. It should lead us to worship. Despite all the information Google can provide us right at our fingertips, some questions are best answered when you go straight to the source. So who is God? When Moses asked him this question, this is what he said. I am who I am. I am a being that is merciful and gracious. I am a being that is painfully patient. I am a being overflowing with constant and consistent love and faithfulness. I am a being that shares this constant and consistent love with all of humanity. I am a being that forgives your mistakes and wrongs, whether they were committed willfully or ignorantly. I am a being that believes in justice and that justice must be served. I am a being who watches closely the impact of the sin of parents to the third and fourth generation of their children with a plan for intervention. I am who I am. I am who I am. So I suppose if someone were to ask me, who is God? I'd just tell them what he said. I would just tell them what he said. It's my desire to get better acquainted with this God described here. And I pray that it's your desire as well. Amen.